Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy 2.0, the one true podcast and the only podcast that is subject to insular dwarfism and is getting smaller and smaller every day. I'm still confused about the podcast part. We still do a podcast around here? No, we don't do podcasts anymore. I don't even know what's happening right now. I mean, just... I'm driving. What are you doing? I occasionally post on Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> hey, Chuck, did you know it, Ramadan, it's beginning. It has begun. Ah, the holiday of over a billion people unnecessarily fasting. Unnecessarily fasting. Um, that's what they do, right? They fast from sunup to sundown. But I don't know. We did a podcast about this a long time ago. You did? I can't remember anything. Yeah. It may be one of the five pillars of Islam. It may not. I don't know. Uh, I find it hard to care about this shit. <laughs> Ramadan? Yeah. Or anything. Ramadan, Christmas, all these ridiculous. Ash Wednesday. What, yeah. What's, what? I don't even know yeah. what that's about. Yeah, that's some sort of Catholic holiday. Yeah. I, I remember going to uh, a residency in Arizona, right? And so first time... Spend extended amount of time outside of Utah, and uh, I see a guy with a little ash on his forehead. I'm like, "Oh, he, 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 he you missed got, a spot there." Yeah, he got something. Got it's Ash Wednesday. Uh, I don't. What is it? So is it like the ashes of burned Jesus, and they smudge it on your forehead? I, you know, we need a Catholic. We need Emma McLaughlin to come back and tell <laughs> us what Ash Wednesday is. I believe they cremate the bodies of uh, aborted babies. And then they feast yeah. on them. Yeah, some sort of remembrance about Jesus being burned alive. I don't know. Yeah. Wait, was he burned alive? Sure, yeah, Probably. Well, it's I, as good as any other story. I'm glad you said that you don't care about any of this, because I have nine things you probably don't know about Ramadan. Yes! <laughs> oh, my God. Nothing could be better. Here are nine things you don't Matt, know and don't care about. <laughs> you could have titled that 100 and. 80 things you don't know about Ramadan. There was 1,400 things, but I, I <laughs> pared it down to nine. Okay, the nine essentials. Good. Keep it brief. <laughs> uh, did you know it's about spiritual reflection and not just fasting? Yeah. I totally knew that. Oh, you did know that. How do you reflect on something that doesn't exist as <laughs> intangible? And It gives you an opportunity to forgive and let go and focus on what's important, like how hungry you are. Yeah, right. You just meditate on your growling intestines. <laughs> God, I want a cheeseburger. Uh, they not only fast from food, they fast from gossiping, lying, and other such bad habits. Um, yeah, that's like Lent, right? You give it up for 40 days. If you're, if you're doing something you know is bad, right. why don't you just right. give it up permanently? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm done fasting from gossiping. Let's get started. Let's do it. Get back to the line. <laughs> <laughs> that was a refreshing break. Uh, Ramadan is a celebration of the origin of Islam. Yeah. So, okay. Why not? All right. 
Um, I just thought I was fasting, but see, that's the thing I did not know. It's not a, yeah. it's not an exciting thing, but look, there were a lot of things to choose from, and most of them are really boring. I that was <laughs> these are the cream of the crop, folks. Yeah. Also, I had to get that arbitrary nine things, you know, <laughs> <laughs> for clickbait. Sometimes Ramadan is called the month of the Quran. Is that Klingon? Because it's spelled with a Q. Yeah, I think it means success or war or something like that. Quran. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it is known as the month of the Quran. That's something I really should have known. Oh my God, that's important. Yeah, they'll sometimes recite um, like part of the Quran each night. I don't know how it's different from... So someone comes up to me and says, Hey, uh, I'm, you know, celebrating the month of the Quran. I'll say, you mean Ramadan? God, that's so useful in my everyday existence. Uh, you can use that like you can, like an asshole. You'd be like, oh, I believe you mean Ramadan. That's what yeah. Ramadan is. Some- I uh, sometimes like to call it the month of the Quran. The Quran. Um, fasting is one of the five pillars of Islam, as you have said. I knew that. I knew that. That is not one of the nine things I did not know about Ramadan. But, there's a but, but not all Muslims fast. What? Children, ill people, the sickly, uh, old people, pregnant people, breastfeeding people, uh, masturbating people. No. What are these exceptions, man? If God wants you to fast, then just fast and damn the consequences. Or, Or if you're traveling. Uh, <laughs> and shouldn't God magically sustain you anyway if uh, yeah, it's really. so important to fast for this month? I like that the traveling people are not required to... What if I'm traveling to my kitchen? <laughs> so Yeah, for, that counts. Or I'm traveling to Wendy's for a delicious yeah. spicy chicken sandwich. <laughs> you gotta eat something on the way. Uh, some people just have small little meals instead of binging. Like, cause that's, oh. that's what happens a lot. They don't need all day. That counts. That counts as fasting in America. I don't know. Right. In the I, Middle East so much. I only had a salad drenched in ranch. That's not. That's <laughs> that's essentially fasting. I only had normal-sized portions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I'm so hungry. This last one, I think, is bullshit. But they say, some people, some say, they experience health benefits from fasting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, such, such as, uh, you know. Weight loss, I guess. Well, here's the scientific explanation. Oh, okay. A detoxification process occurs oh, because any toxins stored in the body are dissolved and removed from the body. Now, we know this is true because this was told us by an anesthetist. By some people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Apparently, the body just stores away all these toxins. It's like, okay, I'm hanging on to this shit. I'm hanging on to it. I'm hanging on to it. Oh, my God, he's fasting. Get rid of the toxins. <laughs> uh, here's another one. Muslims or fasting Ramadans frequently suffer from halitosis. Bad, bad breath. So stay away from them. But yeah, that's don't uh, be Islamophobic. It just say it's because your breath stinks. That's <laughs> Allah's signal that they're holy people. Yeah. Just gives them breath that smells like shit and, for a month. And finally, it makes it easier to fast from sex. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, finally, the last Wait. thing you wanted to know. Do you know what I mean? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Is that about masturbation? I don't <laughs> I guess it cuts down on face-to-face sex. Oh! Yeah. But not doggy style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Sorry, I was snapping my fingers there. Doing a little uh, oh, good. <laughs> Can't you Are we hear? up to nine already? Is this the last one? Uh, I haven't I haven't been keeping track. I, All right, this is like the, the top four things I don't know about probably. Ramadan. They also would like you not to feel bad for them or anything. Oh, I don't. No problem. <laughs> Self-inflicted stupidity, I have no problem. I cannot empathize with. Although fasting can make them sleepy and tired, they believe that the return on this investment is absolutely worth it. That's right. You get rid of all those toxins they've been storing up. Yeah. No, all the toxins. God, I hate yeah. toxins. Toxins. You need to detoxify with a good fast every once in a while. Yes. Oh, wait. Shouldn't they just get an enema? Isn't that how you get rid of toxins? <laughs> Yeah, a big old hot coffee enema. Right. That'll get rid of those toxins. Ooh. Hot coffee. Ah, oh, sorry. Got distracted. Right away. Anyway, that's the part of the show that nobody wanted to hear about. And yet, I forced Chuck to sit through it. In other words, the entire show. What's the So th- long, folks! Yeah, it's over! <laughs> hey, what is the topic today? Oh, it's Mother Teresa. Mother, Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, everyone's favorite mother. Wasn't she a bulger? A bulger? Uh, Bulgarian? Like Whitey Bulger? No, like of the Bulgars. Matt, that did not come up in my extensive research for this episode. (laughs) I have no idea. She could be from Ukraine, for all I know. Ukrainian? Never. Um, No, but let's, uh, let's wait. On Mother Teresa and go to skunk dicks. Well, we got to do skunk dicks first. Yeah. Before we get into the meat of the, we need to we need to uh, start with milk, right? Milk. Uh, we got to we need to build up to the meat. Oh, I thought you had milk was a skunk dick, like oh. <laughs> like fuck milk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It comes from cows. Oh, cows that is halitosis. Yes. Wait, does it? No. No. Uh, Good. I like it. Well, I don't know. Will someone sue us for that? I don't know. The milk industry, the milk lobby is very <laughs> You don't want to fuck with the milk lobby. No, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, what do we have for skunk dicks? Uh, well, you know the only atheists in the world are in America and possibly Europe? Well, that's true. The entire rest of the world are non-atheists. Doesn't exist. I don't know anything other than America and Europe. I think South America is there. Oh, well, that's still America, I suppose. That's America. Yeah. Yeah, I went that's there. America. That's America. That counts America. Yeah. Um, Canada doesn't count. A pastor and also self-described Christian apologist. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Do you, I'm, what are the words self-described Matt, doing in that sentence? Matt Wakefield, Christian apologist. Um <laughs> Except this man's name is not Matt Wakefield. It's Phil Vanderplug. Vanderplug. Phil Vanderplug. That sounds suspiciously made up also. Yeah, seriously. Hi, Phil Vanderplug. Uh, come on down to Phil Vanderplug's linoleum <laughs> counter services and vinyl laminates. My name's Phil <laughs> v- Vanderplug. Yeah, wasn't that um, George Costanza fake latex salesman from Seinfeld? Yeah. Vanderplug Industries. Plug it. That's it. <laughs> Vanderplug. <laughs> anyway, Everything about this story is suspicious. <laughs> this is bullshit. I, nevertheless, I shall report it as if it's true. Um, <laughs> that's what we do here. Vanderplug. Listen, if it's written down somewhere, it must be true. Right. We learned that from what is truth. 
Uh, during his Sunday sermon at First Baptist Church of Spartanburg in Spartanburg, South Carolina, Plogue, it might be Plogue or Ploge, I'm not sure. People often asked him that why doesn't God make himself more obvious? This is a question I, I frequently ask uh, Vanderplugs when I come across them. Yeah, first thing that pops to mind. Yeah. Oh, why doesn't God, this is what he said. Why does God just walk into the room one day and say, hello, I'm God, I'm real, and then leave? You know, Matt, that is a good question. Good question. That question has been plaguing idiot philosophers for millennia now. Yeah, and the pastor has the answer. Would you like to hear it? He's the last in a long line of idiot philosophers. Right. And this is also the end. Done. This is the answer. Are you ready? Let's go. Quote, it's obvious. Well, yeah. then he doesn't need to say it. He doesn't need Story to say it. finished. Uh, God has revealed himself far more than people want to acknowledge. It's obvious. Oh, it's so obvious this he doesn't have so to come obvious. into the room. I, that's all I have to I know. Gotcha. Everyone knows there's a God. But yep. in the West, we've developed a worldview that justifies our actions. That's why we don't believe in God. That's that's America, no God. Yeah, <laughs> we don't, exactly. We don't believe in God. Uh, that's why the only atheists in the world live in American Europe, and because uh, because China doesn't exist. There's only about five hundred million atheists in China. Atheist state in China. <laughs> yeah. Oh. This reminds but me. No, China's part of Europe, man. Oh, that's right. It's all connected, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can walk from China to Europe. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's technically correct. Um, so let me just write this down. Avoid Spartanburg. <laughs> okay. I just crossed these cities off when I found out who lives there. Oh, I thought you were going to say avoid Vanderplug. Oh, no, no. I, well. Well, he solved that problem, that thorny philosophical dilemma for us. Uh it's obvious. The real problem is, do I also avoid Vander butt plugs? No. 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 Those, those are the only good type of Vander plug. The only good Vander plug is a butt plug. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, and that is obvious. Yeah, that's obvious. Obvious. Moving on. Obvious, obvious. Uh, Matt, I've got a uh, Washington uh, postal worker. Now, you know, uh, marijuana, sale of marijuana, uh, recently legal in Washington. What? Moving to Washington. The Washington postal worker apparently will not deliver mail to a uh, to marijuana shops, plural. Oh, all of for, the shops? For religious reasons. Oh, what religious reasons? Well, you know, Wait. the anti-marijuana religion. Thou shalt you know, not... You remember <laughs> yeah. in the Old Testament? <laughs> That's the little-known 13th commandment, <laughs> thou shalt not smoke weed. Or thou shalt not deliver mail to those who sell weed products. Thou shalt not pass the doobie on the left-hand side. (laughs) (laughs) If this turns into another goddamn religious freedom fight where this person, the mail carrier, is like, it's against my religious freedoms to deliver mail to blah, blah. So I don't have to take mail to any place I don't like, like... So Planned Parenthood won't, like, do they get their mail, or do they have to find one of them North American atheists to deliver it? Well, what they, they're compromised, so as not to hurt the tender feelings of their religious mail carrier, uh, is to have the uh, shop owners come to the post office, you see. Oh! (laughs) So what they want them to do is pay for a service that they do not get. 
Right. That, that because sounds fair. you don't want to offend the religious sensibilities of, uh, and it doesn't matter, you know, as we all know, it doesn't matter what the religious belief is. It's just that, A, it's sincerely held, yes. and B, that it's somehow offended in some way. And so the compromise is, and there never is really a compromise, right? The <laughs> least uh, burdensome compromise is to have everyone else do a bunch of shit so this person doesn't have to do their job. Right. I, I love this compromise. Okay, okay, so here's the problem. I don't want to take, I don't want to do my job, which is to take mail to places. Yeah. Like, the, do you? The definition of your job. So I think a compromise would be for you to just do my job yeah. while I get paid. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to be paid any less. That's not acceptable compromise. No, yeah. And I certainly don't want to do my job. I think they've got uh, security footage of her handing uh, mail to customers because right. she doesn't want to go inside the marijuana shop. That would violate her religion somehow. Somehow. I don't know any religion that has a uh, do not go inside a marijuana shop clause. Can you imagine in Utah if they started doing this? No place that serves coffee would get their mail. No place that serves <laughs> caffeinated drinks or alcohol. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much all restaurants yep. would get their mail. In Utah. In Utah. Absolutely. And I think that's fair. I think everyone who serves alcohol and caffeine needs to go to the post office and pick up their mail. Yeah. That's the only fair call. And then you know who those people are. Yeah. You see them at line. You can mark them. Yeah. For future discrimination purposes. Oh, my God. Skunk take number two. Uh, Not only the mail carrier, but uh, the postal office who apparently backed their mail carrier up uh, in not doing her job for religious reasons. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, is that it? Do we have any more? Uh, you know, I've got one more, man. I'm just going to go straight into this because it's a fairly complicated case here. Okay. In India, uh, there's a, kind of like a, a James Randi, the Indian counterpart of James Randi. He's a skeptic, which already you know. That just means he's a douchebag. Oh, yeah. Uh, skeptic. He's skeptical of the miraculous feats of holy men. Because as if you, if you listen to our... Uh, Hindu podcast. You learn that there's a lot of different holy men, right, who uh, have a bunch of followers. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the, the fakirs. Appropriately named... Fuckers. <laughs> fakers. Fakers. Fuckers. Fakers. Yeah, absolutely. I love um, that they're named fakers. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it's not really how you pronounce it, but... It probably is pronounced exactly the same, and means exactly the same in <laughs> India. Uh, so, um, yeah, this is the uh, guy who's, <laughs> apparently, that um, he declared, that there's this one of these fakers who declared that uh, he could kill anybody with tantric chanting. Uh, and so this guy took him up on the challenge. And uh, Why would you declare that? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I suppose you're sincerely deceived. <laughs> How does that come up? Oh, by the way, I can kill I you really believe. Chanting. I can kill people with tantric <laughs> chanting. The problem with tantric chanting is it takes a long time, right? right. Oh, my God. Uh, so um, he's got a history of this, and he's still alive, surprisingly, after facing down the tantric chanting. What? He must have chanted wrong. But uh, in 2012, uh, so again, cutting-edge news here, Matt. Yeah. Cutting-edge news. Well, a religiosophy, uh, we're on the cutting edge, I believe is our tagline. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. 
Yeah, pretty sure. Uh, there's a statue of Christ in India that miraculously uh, began dripping water from his feet. That's, uh, I don't know how this shit happens, but uh, wow. it, it is as if the blood came to life, turned clear, and dripped off of this Christ statue's feet. It's a reverse miracle instead of <laughs> water to wine. It's blood so, to water. This became so popular, people would collect these. this water. It was holy water, right? Clearly it's holy water. It's dripping oh, yeah. off of God's foot. Clearly. And they'd collect it and drink it uh, and hoping to, you know, uh, be healed or uh, get some of Christ's power. I don't know. Uh, so this this guy, his name is uh, Ed Maraku. No. Huh? Ed, uh, his name is Ed Maraku. Ed Maraku. Something like that. Ed Maraku. So uh, <clears throat> he was challenged to investigate this miracle because this is clearly a miracle. Yeah. Obviously. There can be no earthly they explanation say. for water dripping off of a statue. Disprove this. And so he uh, went to the site with an engineer friend of his and they traced the source of the water to some moisture on the wall uh, that the statue was mounted on. This clearly could not have been done without a full-fledged skeptic and an engineer. No. Uh, seemed to be uh, coming from an overflowing drain, which was in turn fed by a pipe that came from a nearby toilet. <laughs> You've been drinking pee. People <laughs> drinking <laughs> overflowing toilet water. Uh, and so oh. he said, hey, look, this is not a miracle. It is just simply bad plumbing. And uh, apparently, yeah. he was uh, when he said that this miracle is not true, the Catholic Church said that they were insulted. Um, you know, we don't we don't manufacture miracles to make money. What are you kidding me? Uh, and so apparently, there is a a blasphemy case um, filed oh, against him by Catholic God. groups. Uh, because again, you don't want to hurt these uh, sensibilities of these people by telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. If the truth is blasphemous, again, you, you probably ought to recheck your religion. Go back exactly. to the beginning, recheck that religion. Uh, and so, definitely don't want to tell these people that they're possibly getting fecal coliform bacteria from their Jesus water. So uh, under, <laughs> you, you just want to keep that going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Apparently, under this law, uh, a, a policeman in India can arrest him immediately, right, without a warrant, because this what? suit has been filed. They can keep him, uh, they can arrest him and keep him in prison for an indefinite amount of time. And so he had to actually flee uh, the country, and he is now in Finland. So did you did you say Finland? Yes. Hey, Finland! Thanks for making us the number one podcast in religion and spirituality. Oh, is that true? That's true. <laughs> Finland is a skunk dick just for that. <laughs> way to go, Finland. They might when win. do we get any of that sweet Finnish money coming our way, Chuck? Straight to our Oh, my money. God, all the time. I just keep it hidden from you. Oh, you bastard. You're I can't lunch today. spend it because it's got some strange writing on it. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you know, coming in by the bucket load. Uh, yeah, so the skunk dick clearly is the skeptic. Ed Maruku, uh, who uh, spoiled this miracle and uh, prevented people from drinking E. coli uh, infected yeah. water. I mean, clearly he brought it upon himself. I, I mean, mean, that's really you... what skeptics do, right? They just spoil the party. Right. Dicks. 
That's why we call them skunk dicks. Dicks. Exactly. Oh. Uh, so what do we got? Um, out of those three, what do you think, Matt? Uh, it's obvious what my choice shall be, Chuck. Spartanburg, <laughs> one of the Carolinas. Possibly north? No, maybe south. That's what I'm going with. I'm going to vote for the second one, skunk dick number two, because I don't. it was so uninteresting, I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> That's my vote. That's exactly why I'm voting for the Carolinas. <laughs> They're uninteresting, and also, why do you have to have two of them? Yeah. Plus a skeptic. I'm voting for all three of them. They're all, okay, well, let's see who wins. This is going to be interesting. Uh, you should do this like a horse race, you know, give a win, place your show. There you go. Start the machine! Welcome to the third race at the Honeymoon is Over Nouns. They're at the gate, and they're off! Jumping out in the lead is Romance and Affection, with Domestic Bliss in close behind. It's Romance and Affection and Domestic Bliss. Here comes Marriage Vows, followed by Immediate Child. Romance and Affection falling off quickly. Mortgaged up the ass, overtaking Domestic Bliss. And here comes Nasty Attitude, followed by More Children and Drinking Heavily. Coming down the backstretch, Drinking Heavily, moving out in front of Mortgaged up the ass. But coming on strong on the outside is Credit in Shambles. It's Credit in Shambles, followed by I Don't Give a Shit. Nasty Attitude and Up Yours Keep. Up yours, keep challenging for a second, going into the clubhouse turn. Passing on the rail as I don't give a shit, taking the lead. Followed by the fucking house. You cook like shit, and I fucked your brother. Here they come, spinning out of the turn. I don't give a shit, still in front. Up yours, keep challenging for the lead. Up yours, keep, and I don't give a shit, neck and neck. And down the stretch they come. Up yours, keep is pulling away from I don't give a shit by a link. Coming on strong is I am out of here, and passing the pack is the fucking house. And at the wire, it's up yours, keep the fucking house. I don't give a shit, and I am out of here. Matt, in a photo finish, Brock Turner, rapist, wins the day. Brock Turner, fuckface, asshole, piece of crap. How could he possibly be a skunk dick, or did I just explain why? Of course his name's Brock. I mean, if you want your kid to grow up a total asshole, just name him Brock. Just name him Brock. How can you, become, how can you be normal after your na- if you have to experience an entire lifetime with the name of Brock? I didn't even know Brock was a name... I thought it was made up because the only place I've ever heard it was on the Venture Brothers. Yeah. Which is which is a cartoon show. It sounds like some eighties fraternity douchebag. Brock's Brock. Brock. Uh so what's the story on this, Matt? Uh this dipshit found a woman passed out, uh, or otherwise incapacitated. I'm not really sure actually what her state was. They're but basically at a, they're at a, at a fraternity party. Uh, yeah, to party. Uh, both of them drinking quite a bit, and apparently, according to her statement, she she you know had been out of the college scene for a little while and had misjudged her uh, tolerance to alcohol, so uh, ended up unfortunately getting extremely drunk and passing out. Now uh, she awoke in a hospital gurney, doesn't remember really anything about the night, but prior to that, this uh, rapist Brock noticed that she had passed out apparently, or uh, was on the way uh, to taking her, and she was extremely drunk. She left a, a you know like an incoherent voicemail to her boyfriend, where she's clearly, clearly right. So he he found a passed out capacity. woman, and he and he and he gave her he gave her help and helped her back to her apartment, probably. Well, yes, because that's what um, that's what a guy named Brock would do. Yeah. Uh, instead, he drags her around in a dumpster 
and uh, digitally penetrates her. So a fingers her, I believe, is the court term that was used. D- digitally? Oh, okay. Yeah, pine needles and uh, dirt uh, was found inside her vagina. Um, it slips down her uh, underwear and apparently is uh, thrusting against her uh, unmoving body. This scene was so disturbing that um, two passersby uh, on a bicycle got off their bicycles and uh, he gets up and runs away. Yeah, yeah, like that. Clearly, like you know, craft he is. Clearly thinks he's doing something appropriate. Right. right, he knows he's doing something appropriate, and so runs away. They tackle him and hold him until the pr- police arrive. Uh, uh, and apparently, you know, one of those guys was so traumatized by what he saw that he was crying as he's relating this to the police. Um, this is at Stanford, uh, on the Stanford campus, I think. Yeah. So, so this was, uh, I think, a year ago. And not only does this guy, and this is this is a clear case, right? Clear case of rape. You have a unconscious victim who, who uh, clearly cannot consent. Right. You have uh, two witnesses, uh, and you've got a guy who uh, knows he's doing something wrong and tries to, to run away. Clearly, right, we should be able to get justice out of this case. Yeah, open and shut. Uh, easy peasy. So a year uh, goes by uh, where he takes it, he gets a high-powered attorney because, of course, he's, he's rich, right? He's rich, he's uh-huh. white, he's an athlete at Stanford. Uh, He's got dreams and aspirations. Competitive swimmer. Uh, And so uh, he fights it, drags this poor victim again, uh, re-victimizing her all over again. I mean, wouldn't you just at this point say, look, um, clearly I I was drunk. I, uh, you know, I clearly did uh, something that's inconceivable. Uh, I want to make this right. Uh, Caught in the act, you piece of shit, throw yourself on the mercy of the court. It's your only choice. I want to stop um, victimizing this poor person any further. Right. But it forces her to go through, you know, another year uh, where she's asked about all the classic questions. What were you wearing? You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, what's your sexual past? Blah, blah, blah. You know, his initial story when he was picked up by the police uh, didn't mention anything about consent or anything like that, but apparently the news got out that she didn't remember anything, and uh, then immediately, of course, his story changed. Uh, I asked for consent all along the way. Asked her, you know, would you like to go back to my dorm room with me? Yes. Uh, would you like to have sex? Yes. Is it okay if I finger you? Yes. Uh, because that's clearly what's going on uh, inside, you know, a normal intercourse. Hey, do you mind if I finger you? Yes, that sounds appropriate. Could you sign here? You know, that always happens. Um, So uh, he lost, lost the case. Twelve jurors uh, convicted him on three counts of felony sexual assault. And if you get the chance, you know, Google immediately, stop the podcast, Google the victim impact statement from uh, the Brock Turner rape case and read every word of it. It is long it is heartbreaking, and it is worth reading every single word. This is uh, an amazingly eloquent, intelligent person who uh, has been victimized over and over again by this. Uh, she, uh, you get her perspective from the entire thing. She was traumatized, obviously, uh, months where she had to stay up at night because she was too afraid to go to sleep uh, until dawn. She describes the courtroom, and she describes this guy's 
absolute lack of remorse. Even at the end when he was convicted and he's putting in his statement to, to hopefully get as, as little sentence as possible, the only crime he admits to is poor decision-making yeah. influenced by alcohol and the campus drinking culture. Because it's yes. alcohol, really, that uh, did the raping, not him. He's like no, pathologically no. unable to accept any responsibility for anything. Right. It's he not wants my to, fault. He wants to turn things around for himself and, you know, uh, be a voice against uh, the campus drinking culture. Oh. Because that's what's wrong here. That's, that's what we need is for Brock Turner to be held up <laughs> as an icon yeah. for people to look to. Yeah. Giving presentations on alcohol use yeah. in college. Uh, I bet he's really upset by this whole thing, too. You know, the, I bet it's just killing him. The crazy thing is, is five years ago, The Onion gave a, a news story which was nearly exactly like this. Uh, it was the, the impact on a college basketball player for his rape, you know, and how terrible and how what a hero he was for getting over right. uh, this rape that he had committed. Um, oh, he's so strong. Was, Look at him and brave. It's just... Horrifying how accurate that was. The this whole case has made me so sick with how how much from the judge to this kid's father that how everybody's concerned about. Oh, we haven't even know, got to the, the judge. Oh, I mean, wait, oh, I didn't. Okay, let's get to the, the yeah. Scott number two. The judge, the prosecution, uh, I think recommended six years in prison. I think the maximum was something like fourteen. And, and the victim impact statement, she said she didn't want this guy to rot in jail. That's a direct quote. But uh, six months was the sentence. Now, the judge, I will say, is a Stanford grad. and in I six believe, months, he'll be out in two. I believe he was an athlete, right, at Stanford. So Yeah. If you're, the, the message to the community is that rape culture is okay. Uh, you'll get a slap on the wrist. Um, he does have to register as a sex offender, so... As, oh. as his father said, you know, this does impact his life. Oh, um, yeah. In six months, after you've caused, um, so far, uh, a year of devastating trauma to this woman and changed her permanently, uh, you get out in six months and go about your way. Uh, less than the minimum recommended sentence. Uh, so basically, if you're white, if you're uh, affluent, if you're an athlete, you uh, you can do whatever the fuck you want. It doesn't yeah, can matter. Can you imagine what... This probably wouldn't have been the news if it was just some black dude. He no, would have been in jail it, for it, so Maximum penalty. He would have died in jail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if you're rich and you're white and uh, you can... And no remorse was shown at all. Zero remorse. I mean, you talk about mitigating factors. The least you could do is stand up and say, I'm sorry for what I did. Uh, I'm sorry for the rape that I committed. Not the alcohol that I drank. Totally irrelevant. Yeah. The rape that I committed and the harm that I have committed and, and done to you, uh, and I want to, uh, I, I want to spend the next hour long time it is trying to make that up, and I will do presentations not on alcohol but on the rape culture uh, that, and, and that, that makes this stuff so prevalent and it makes it so that I can get off with six months. That's the presentation you need to be doing, not alcohol, college drinking culture. Totally fucking irrelevant. Yeah, you could do that. Or you could just disappear forever. Yeah, I, that'd I, be I nice too. Well. Um, he whined about, you know, how uh, I wish I was never good at swimming and never uh, was so amazing that I got accepted to Stanford because then maybe newspapers wouldn't uh, 
uh, want to write stories about me. Because their true victim yeah. here is Brock Turner. Oh, uh, yeah. He's not going to be able to go to the Olympics, Chuck. Maybe. Also, uh, as evidenced by his dad, he said, you know, uh, his dad, a direct quote, I think, from the, the statement that he gave to the court, trying to mitigate his statement, that uh, was that, you know, this seems like a steep price to pay for 20 minutes of action. Uh, I, out of 20 I years could of his not life. believe I actually read that. I was just, he didn't just say that. Well, you but, know, it's, it's. But he did. First of all, you have to be a certain type of person to name your kid Brock. Uh, and second right, of right. all, it's not difficult to see where uh, he gets his entitled douchebag attitude from. Yeah. But, you know, um, almost worse than that is that uh, you know, the true victim here is Brock Turner because, according to his father, he's been a little stressed out lately and doesn't uh, want to eat the ribeye steaks that I make him. Oh, yeah. Oh, so he can only stuff half. He got to get halfway through it before he breaks down in yeah. tears. He's lost a little taste for barbecued ribeye steaks. So, uh, really, the true oh. victim, Brock Allen Turner. <laughs> now I've got this picture in my head of this crying piece of shit, like struggling to get through this giant ribeye, just like <laughs> can't finish my I delicious, can't even finish fat my... <laughs> marbled ribeye, grain fed. Uh, raised on, uh, you know, my ranch over here. Yeah. Yeah. Fed with sake and rice and massage daily ribeye. <laughs> it's, uh... Oh, I'll just have... I'll save it for tomorrow. It's truly horrible. It's truly horrible. So, uh... And that's not all the skunk dickery. Uh, so that's... So far, uh, we have the rapist Brock Allen Turner. We have the asshole judge uh, who slaps him on the wrist and uh, sends a a message out that rape culture is okay and, and continue this behavior. Yeah. And we have his father who, the best thing that can be said about him is that uh, his statement is criminally tone deaf. I mean, that's uh, right. absolutely, absolutely mind boggling. We also have a justice system. I mean, this guy's getting six months. It's That's still more than most rapists get. Yeah. That's still like a hefty sentence. In this case, where it was witnessed by two people, uh, he was caught running away. Uh, so the victim was caught. We have witnesses. We have absolute certainty that he committed the crime. Uh, but, of course, you have the mitigating factors that he's... Oh, and he shows absolutely zero remorse as well. The mitigating factors are that he's rich, he's white, and uh, he's an athlete, so... Ah, you know the trope about affluenza. In uh, yeah, he's victimized by affluenza. The the trope about how in rape cases, uh, the woman only has a past, right? Because she's oh, she's promiscuous. What was she wearing? Right. And stuff. And the the rapist only has a future. Oh, we can't limit you know his future uh, earnings or um, you know think of the right. impact that this conviction will have on his future. Uh, God, so goddamn true. So yeah. true. So true. Oh, it was it was sad and how classic. Like this thing went down in every wrong way, like yeah. by the numbers, yeah. like like every point. I mean, the good news is there's a petition to to oust the judge. We'll see how far that gets. Um, yeah. But this was also, you know, the recommendation of uh, either like a parole officer or or someone, a committee of people who uh, you know investigate through this whole thing, right? They were. I think they recommended the same thing, six months. Well, I had an addendum to this, but now I just can't even bother with it. (laughs) Fucking witches organized a mass hexing of this kid. Stupid witches. Uh, Yeah, Uh, because... um, I don't even care about that anymore. That's the solution. 
It is not to address the rape culture and the entitlement of uh, males uh, in general, white males in specific, and rich white males in very specific. The, the entitlement that these men have to power over women, that uh, it's all about really what these witches are saying. It's, it's, they want to hex them into impotence so they'll never rape anyone again. Listen, it was digital penetration, right? So A, they're wrong on that course. But B, it's not about impotence. It's not about uh, erections, right? Uh, it's about power. It's about the rape culture. It's about uh, uh, the ability for these assholes to get away, away with pretty much anything they want. And the only real lasting harm is that I don't think he'll ever get his taste for ribeye steaks back again. Yeah, that the true tragedy here is the loss of ribeye. Yeah. Because they are delicious. I don't know if he'll ever get that back. Uh, all right, winner. All that. Yeah, everything. Fuck. Uh, Brock Al- Rapist Brock Allen Turner, his, his uh, charming father, the judge, the judicial system, the rape culture in America, and yeah. uh, finally, the witches who uh, want to cast an impotence <sighs> hex with magic. Um, that's, yeah, well. Can we, can we live on Mars yet? <laughs> I'm going to Mars. Just me and the robots. <laughs> Magic spells. That's the solution, Matt. Magic spells. Well, let's move on. To Mother now Teresa. Is, is let's talk about Mother Teresa. Suitably depressed now. Yeah, let's change the subject. Yeah. Yeah, let's change it to Mother Teresa. Um, now that we've just talked about how women are uh, in a bad place, let's go pick on a woman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this woman deserves to be picked on. But, yeah. But before that, we have... Um, Matt's Anthropological Corner! Oh my god, what do we have uh, this time for this episode of Matt's Anthropological Corner? Chuck, for this episode of Matt's Anthropological Corner, we have Hobbitses. Hobbitses? Yes, Hobbitses. 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 Penises? No, no, not penises. Hobbitses. Hobbitses. I mean, I surely mean hobbitses. Like, if you don't believe me, let's ask our resident hobbitses expert for confirmation. Leela Moses. Hobbitses. Oh, yeah. Hobbitses. Hobbitses. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Hobbitses. Look, um, we don't need to talk about it. We don't need to discuss what this is about. It's about hobbitses. We're done. That's it. Go home. That's all we're going to talk about, hobbitses? That's all I got. No, oh. I'm just kidding. Ah, oh, let's do this. Chuck, you possibly remember on a previous Matt's Anthropological Corner, I discussed hobbitses. I do remember that Matt's Anthropological Corner. It was all about uh, Frodo and Merry and Pippin. Yes. It was the whole thing about the remains of a possible human species that were dubbed hobbitses yes. because of their small stature. I mean, sure, scientists refer to them as Homo florensiensis, but we'll just call them by their name of density. Isn't that racist? Hobbitses. Call them hobbits, hobbits because they're Is small. Hobbit racist? It's a uh, race. Well, that's that's their word, Chuck. I'm not uh, sure we're allowed to okay. say it. We prefer to call them Florensiensis. <laughs> uh, now remember, these are bones and teeth dating back about 700,000 years BC, found on the Indonesian island of Flores in the Liangbua Cave. Now, Nature has published two new papers describing. The fossilized remains of more, 
More hobbitses, I tell you. I mean, Florenciensis. On the same island or different? Yeah, same place. All right. Um, and we'll get there. Uh, first, let's get to the speculation. Where do these hobbitses come from? Uh, they think that they are result Hobbiton. of... No! Yeah. Insular dwarfism. Insular dwarfism. Dwarfs? Thought we were talking about hobbits. Ha <laughs> uh, Okay. That is racist. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm just waiting till they find a Balrog. Dwarfs, hobbits. Uh, they found elves yet? They found dwarfs uh, and hobbitses. I'm waiting for Balrogs. Yeah, Fuck elves, Bal- man. Balrogs. Bal- Balrog. Now, Chuck, you're probably saying to yourself right now, what is insular dwarfism? I was not saying that, nor have I ever. Well, would you ask anyway? Oh. What is insular dwarfism? Hey, I'm glad you asked. Uh, according to Wikipedia... Is it because insular... they kind of isolate themselves so much from each other that uh, they're emotionally stunted? I'm literally just about to read what oh. it is. Oh. And you interrupt me. <laughs> like, I was just about to say it. <laughs> from Wikipedia, though. That doesn't count. <laughs> Wait a second. Well, hold on, hold on. Are you saying Wikipedia is not the source of all knowledge? It's not even close. Well, you're right. But in this case, they did a pretty good job. It's better than God. Look, it's a form of phyletic dwarfism. Got it? Phyletic? Everybody knows? Anyway, it's the process and condition of the reduction in size of large animals over a number of generations when their population's range is limited to a small environment, primarily islands. This natural process is distinct from the intentional creations of dwarf breeds called dwarfing. Or per- perhaps dwarving or d- dwarfing. Gotcha. One of those. This is not a special creation. It is no. spontaneous generation. Check this process and other island genetics uh, can occur not only on traditional islands, which is funny because it sounds like something like a GOP candidate would say. Like, I don't believe in insular dwarfism unless it occurs on a traditional <laughs> island. Does it happen, Matt, because small things are just inherently cuter? Uh, yes, it is the cuteness factor, which is the, that is the primary driver of this process. It's sexual selection. <laughs> Women are like, oh, it's so cuter. That little pygmy goat, much cuter. Look, not only traditional islands, Chuck, but other situations where ecosystem is isolated from external resources and breeding. This can include caves, oases, isolated valleys, isolated mountains, or sky islands. Huh? Huh? No. What about the isolation due to complete loss of your will to live? Uh, that ends up in insular deathism, <laughs> Where you die a small death every day. Uh... Insular dwarfism is one aspect of the more general island rule, uh, which is do not talk about island rule. That's a rule no. number one. <laughs> 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 uh, which posits then when mainland animals colonize islands, small species tend to evolve larger bodies and larger species tend to evolve smaller bodies, which makes no sense at all. So you're probably asking yourself again, Right now, what are some possible causes of insular dwarfism? Didn't you just say that? It's an island no. or an oasis or a cave. No, that's just the, um, that's just how it can happen. But what's the process? Uh, I never thought you asked. 
I, I'm not sure you did, but I'm going to assume you have. Matt, what is the process of insular dwarfism? Oh, I never thought you asked. There are several proposed explanations for the mechanism, which produces dwarfism. Uh, one's a selective process, where only small animals trapped on an island survive, yep. as food periodically declines, and the smaller animals need fewer resources and smaller territories, so are more likely to get past the point where population decline allowed food sources to replenish enough for the survivors to flourish. So Got only it? small humans were caught on this island of Flores. Uh, no. No. We'll get, well, we'll get there. Smaller size is, always, is also advantageous from a reproductive standpoint, as it entails shorter gestation periods and generation times. I don't know if that's true, but it sounds good. Um, no, they're just saying that, like, if you go towards smaller bodies, you're more likely to survive. So, and yeah. the smaller species have an inherent survival advantage with limited resources. There you go. Got it! Also, in the tropics, small size makes thermal regulation easier. That's, that's one. That's a reason. All right. It's, so. it, it is less uh, energetically costly to heat a small body than it is a large body. There you go. Got right it. Right back to that uh, resources thing. Need less resource. Uh, among herbivores, large size confers advantages in coping with competitors and predators. So a reduction or absence of either also facilitates dwarfing somehow. So no predators equals cute Smaller. little small bunnies. Yes. Um, but among carnivores, the main factor is thought to be size and availability of prey resources, and competition is believed to be less important. Uh, for example, in tiger strikes, insular dwarfism occurs on islands where available prey is restricted to smaller sizes than are normally taken by mainland snakes. So smaller hobbitses? <laughs> so no big, yeah, so no big carnivores, which also allows smaller carnivores. So or, what? sorry, smaller dwarfs. Otherwise, the, the hobbits would be have been eaten by mainland snakes. Yes. Yeah, snakes, I'm pretty sure, is the reason. Gotcha. Anyway, that was confusing, but I'm sure we've all got it. Got it? Got it. Let's move, let's yeah. move on. Even if I don't, don't recap, please. <laughs> to sum up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but now let's go to the origin of hobbitses, and there are, there be several theories are... Or maybe just two. I'm not sure I didn't count them. But um, theories exist. Want to hear some? I cannot wait to hear the several theories of Hobbit formation. Chuck, the first one is that they evolved from an isolated population of big-ass Homo erectuses. Okay. It's so, our penis joke. So, uh... And then they dwarfed out over time. Theory number one, they shrunk. They shrunk. It's a good from, theory. But from an actual human... Us. Yeah, and us, a Homo erecti. Erectus? Uh, Didn't the hobbits uh, descend from the elves in Lord of the Rings? Or am I mixing yes. that up with some other. Did hobbits descend? Oh, in Lord of the Rings, where did hobbits come from? Yeah. They were cursed by uh, Morgul the Black. Balrog. A Balrog shit them out, I believe, is what gotcha. happens when hobbits are the result when a Balrog <laughs> eats an elf. Takes a shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're so cute. Balrog shit cuteness. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're like unicorns. Yeah, it's their, uh, it's their waste product. Cuteness. Yeah. <laughs> they keep everything else. Why are there so many hobbits here? Oh, Balrog <laughs> lives over in that cave. Uh, here's another theory. This is possibly the second theory. Or maybe a third theory. I don't know. I'm out of order. They grew, but, they grew from smaller human beings. 
No, is that they descended from another member of our genus, por ejemplo, homo, that's Spanish, homo habilis. And it has been suggested that these, oh no, this is the third theory, sorry. So first theory, homo rectus, then homo bilis, or these individuals are not hobbitses at all, but they are merely suffering from some sort of congenital disease that has turned them into the aforementioned hobbitses. Matt, isn't there some argument that Homo habilis and Homo erectus are exactly the same thing? There's talk of that, but those are just lying your, liars that lie. Your first two theories have collapsed into one theory. <laughs> Look, this is just like those uh, those church pamphlets I get. Here are three things, <laughs> except it's the opposite. Instead of three things, it's one thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, how, but Chuck, here's where the new shit comes in. This okay. is why we're talking about it. All right. Um, well, thank faith- God. We're like 20 minutes into this. <laughs> Here, based, here, here it is. Uh, based upon a morphological study of the new fossils, because they found new fossils, it now appears that these hobbitses did, in point of fact, descend from Homo erectus. Aha, not Homo habilis, as has been previously claimed. Right, or having some sort of congenital disease, as has also been mentioned. Gotcha. So, like if you chose Homo erectus in the pool, you win. Email Chuck to get your five bucks and a two-for-one coupon to Red Lobster. Congratulations. They're uh, five Finnish bucks, and I don't ship internationally. (laughs) And don't forget, Red Lobster. We don't know what we serve, but it sure (laughs) as hell ain't fish. Um, So here's the story, Chuck. About a million years ago... Wait, hold on. I'm calling bullshit right now. Anytime somebody starts with some big number, like a big round number, like it's always crap. You know, like, it's like a thousand, it's like a million. Yeah, it's got to be wildly imprecise. Yeah. Well, let's just go anyway. And everyone, turn your lights down low. And Chuck, um, if you could say in your best Ken Am voice, a million years ago. A million years ago. That's not Ken Ham. Oh, Ken Ham? Oh, I thought you you said Ken Am. I did. Ken Am. All right. Because he's Australian. Gotcha. See, I, can, I would have done it, but I can't do the Australian accent. Gotcha. That's... A million of, years ago. A band of early humans were marooned on the island of Flores, possibly by aliens, but maybe they just got stuck there in some <laughs> conventional it's way. It's still under investigation. <laughs> and then, as if by magic... Over the next 300,000 years, they gradually dwarfed in size until their mysterious disappearance about 50,000 years ago, which I'm positive was entirely aliens yep. or magic. That one settled. And guess how they found the fossils? Magic! Yep. No, wait, it was science. You asked uh, <laughs> Ken Ham, and he goes, Oh, there's a, according to the Bible, according to Genesis, <laughs> there's a pocket of fossils over in Florence. According to Genesis, hobbitses were created in six minutes. No, wait. Um, no, the researchers performed a series of test excavations to identify which stratigraphic layer was most likely to yield remains. They went there, they dug, and bam, hobbitses. So like I said, magic. Did you say dugged? They dugged. Dugged as in past tense of dug? <laughs> Because like, it's already done. Okay. So they, they dig dug. They dug again. <laughs> they re-dug. <laughs> um, I, I, there's some things I do like about this story. I like how this is a validation of a scientific process. Because uh, we talked about this before. They actually did something that, that was, it was like making a prediction. You know, they did tests. 
They identified layers and they said, hey, this is the most likely place that we'd find, you know, these fossils. So that's where they went and looked and bam, they were there. Take that, Christians. Yeah, I would love to see a uh, similar prediction confirmed in that manner. Yeah. Out of the Bible. Anything. Um, According to the researchers, this find has important implications for our understanding of early human dispersal and evolution in the region and quashes, they said this, and quashes once and for all any doubters that believe Homo florensiensis was merely a sick modern human. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if he said it like that in that voice, but... I'm certain he did. (laughs) I'm I'm certain of it. Uh, So what's left? Well... Uh, for one thing, out of fuck to a group of full-bodied Homo erectuses, erecti, erectu brute. Wait, what are they called? Homo erectuses. Homo. Anyway, erect. how do they get to a remote island? For fuck's sake! Yeah. Explain that, science. Uh, they swam propelled solely by their penises. I'm pretty sure they just floated over on logs, like little rotary uh, <laughs> motors. Oh, no, they have speculation. Would you like to hear the speculation? I just gave you speculation. Why do you want any more? Because this is scientific. It's all of the same caliber. Speaking at a press conference, the research said they might have been swept to the island by a tsunami where they remain <laughs> marooned and isolated. No. Now you're saying, no. what? The penile motorboat theory is uh, <laughs> much better. Wait, the penile motor is an example of specified complexity, <laughs> I believe. It's just like the flagella. Yeah. Uh, now, look, it's a region known for volcanic and tectonic activity. I think uh, they were blown from a volcano straight to that island. Oh, like... Oh, burning like, off uh, half of their size and uh, become uh, hobbit north. size. That's, that's... I could see that because according to um, Joe versus Volcano, you can be blown out of a volcano. Where all modern science derives. (laughs) Yeah. Have you seen that movie, Joe vs. the Volcano? No, it's got Tom Hanks in it, though, right? Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. No. I I highly recommend that movie just because the first, like, third of the movie is like a weird David Lynch eraserhead thing. And then it morphs into this weird modern romantic comedy at the end. That sounds amazing. It's amazing. So amazing. Anyway... Tsunamis, volcanoes, it's all equally probable. Now, look, there is uh, modern evidence for this. Uh, During the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and subsequent tsunami, uh, individuals swept out to sea, some as far as uh, 38 miles, including a seven weeks pregnant woman who was later rescued. Huh? Did she turn into a hobbit? No, but her child will be. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Another possibility is that this newly found lineage predates the first homonym arrival in Florence, and that it wasn't H. erectus that got stranded on the island, and this would mean that some intermediate group of hominin asters came through from the north, possibly from Asia, via Sulawesi, which is an island. I uh, disagree, because if it's not Homo erectus, my uh, penile motorboat theory uh, goes up in flames. Well, this is what they said... Um, during the news conference and they said that's another hypothesis that we should keep in mind 
Then they told everyone to fuck off, and they stormed out of the press conference to get drunk and pass out on the beach, waiting in vain for their lost loves to find them and reunite like they always dreamed would happen ever since she walked out the door and never looked back. I mean, seriously, Chuck, at first they were afraid. They were petrified. They kept thinking they could never live without them by their side. But they spent so many nights thinking how they'd done the wrong. They grew strong, and they finally learned how to get along. That is the only way to end a press conference. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. So that's the end of um, this mess. Anthropological Corner! And uh, you're probably saying to yourself again, wait, did we just do an anthropological corner that wasn't in the Mideast? Yeah, the only the only ones that aren't in the Middle East are the Hobbit ones. I mean, that's well, the Hobbit one. Otherwise, well, you're wrong because I have a I have an addendum. Oh, I was gonna say Matt exclusively <laughs> specializes. That's your uh, sub uh, graduate fellowship. It's uh, Middle Eastern anthropological yes. cornershipness. So this this just came out. A massive new monument was found in Petra, in Jordan. I'm sure we've all seen uh, Indiana Jones and oh, the yeah. Last Crusade. <laughs> That's the famous Petra. I think that's the treasury is the one they show there. It's beautiful. I'd love to go there, except for all the ISIS and beheadings. Except for all the religion. Yeah, except for the religion. So probably not going to go there. But anyway, they found a new monument hiding in plain sight. Then did they really find it? Did they truly find it? I know. If it's really just sitting out in the open. is If you just stumble across something, <laughs> did you find it? Or is it, you know... Or I have discovered a monument. Has it always <laughs> been there? I was just looking for a place to pee where no one could see me. <laughs> uh, it's now only the base is left. So, and the monument, or what they think is a monument, it's about as long as an Olympic-sized swimming pool, about twice as wide, or twice as long as an Olympic-sized su- swimming pool, and about as wide as an Olympic-sized <laughs> swimming pool. Just depends like, on how you look at it. Yeah. Uh, and it's about a half mile from um, the center of the ancient city. Now, Chuck, you're probably saying to yourself, the caravan city of Petra and today in southern Jordan and also the capital of the Arab tribe known as the Nabataeans? Yes. With a question mark at the end? No question mark. I know it to be a fact. Oh, you already know that. Maybe you're saying the site that was abandoned at the end of the Byzantine period in the 7th century AD? Yes. Oh, is it just me asking those questions? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, they found, they, they, they came across uh, this new structure. Uh, it's basically a platform that encloses a slightly smaller platform uh, paved with flagstones. And they can see uh, remnants of, a, of a row of columns on the east side of the platform. And it was centered north-south, facing east, they presume, uh, with a staircase. If you assume a staircase is an entrance. Now, this uh, enormous open platform would be topped with a relatively small building and probably approached with a monumental facade. And it has no other structure or known parallels to any other structures, that is, in Petra. The speculation is it most likely had a public or ceremonial function, which would make it the second largest elevated dedicated display yet known in Petra. (laughs) So if you're wondering, hey... What's the second largest elevated dedicated display in Petra? Is it the monastery? No, no. That's the largest. You'll think back to that one episode of Irreligiosity and go, no, 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 no. It's yeah. the, yeah, it's this. Whatever now the fuck this is. They're just starting excavations, so I'll be sure to have more about this in the future. 
Um, but surface pottery dating from mid-century 2nd BC, oh, sorry, mid-2nd century BC, that is, uh, suggests that it is from a time during the Nabataeans' initial public building program. So the real story is whatever uh, is at the end of those stairs. Uh, at the end? It's the outside. Is that oh. the end of the stairs? No, oh, wait. You mean like going into yeah, it? Going down. <laughs> that would be the end of the stairs. I only think of stairs as place things that take me outside. Gotcha. Not inside. I don't know. Why. I got you. Well, uh, uh, Matt, if you're it. done with this episode of Matt's Anthropological Corner, let's go on to Mother Teresa. I think we've delayed this long enough. Yeah, yeah, we really need to get on Mother Teresa. Let's get to the meat of the podcast. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, join us for Mother Teresa Part 2 next time on Irreligiosophy. Yeah, we're going to